0: Tonight, we're going to be in the, the, the Song of Solomon. I'm trying to get through this book as fast as I can, to be honest. You know, the Jews, and I see some young people here, so I have to make sure that I tone it down a lot. I can't say everything, you know, that I might say if I were in a marriage study. But uh, the Jews would not allow uh, anyone to read it under the age of 30 years old. Think about that, you know. So it's a book. It's about intimacy. It's about a man and a woman. They they met. They got engaged. They had a wedding. And now they are living their life. And a lot of it has to do with the romance part of it. And so we talked about this. And it's really important, I think, for us to remember The the different uh, Greek words, even though I know this is a Hebrew uh, book, it's important for us to know the different types of love, the the different uh, words that we have in the Greek language are are eros and agape and phileo and storge. And so eros is kind of like the erotic love, the, the romantic love. And so one of the things that you'll find about the Lord and about us as a church is we love families, we want husband and wife to stay together. We know how important the family is to society. It's the fabric of society. And so the devil comes in and he wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy husband and wife. He wants to destroy marriages. And so, you know, for us, uh, a book like this on intimacy and marriage is, is huge because it might keep uh, a marriage together, you know? You got to know, some of you guys are here, you're single, you're getting ready to go into marriage. Uh, some of you are already married, and uh, and these are things that are applicable to all of us. Because sometimes when it comes to sexual intimacy, the the world or whatever, the flesh, the devil might tell you, "Well, that God doesn't talk about that. You know, God would never deal with stuff like that." Well, He invented that, and He he's, He blesses us with that. But sexual intimacy is to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage, and so I remember I heard, heard one person say it this way: that before you get married, the devil tells you to, you know, to have sexual intimacy before you're married. He tempts you to do it, and then after you're married, he tempts you not to, because he knows how important it is. And so you have eros, you have phileo, uh, which is a friendship love, and so husband and wife, you know, you wanna be friends, man. You want to be best friends, BFFs, right? Best friends forever. Uh, You want to walk together. You want to be companions together. You want to have common interests together. You want to serve the Lord together. You want to communicate with each other. Uh, Sometimes you get husbands and and wives, and they're not really even friends. They have their other people that they like to hang out with. And so you have Eros, which is the romantic love. You have uh, Phileo, which is... um, The brotherly love. You have storge, which is the family love. And then you have um, agape, which is God's love. And so we'll talk about that as we go through tonight. But um, it's really a picture um, also of the love that God has for you. You know, this intimacy, this knowing each other in that way is deep. It is it is bonding, it is beautiful, it is enjoyable, right? But but it's just a reflection of this type of relationship that we're supposed to have with God. You know, sometimes I think people, they don't really have that intimacy with God. They don't, it's, to them it's a religion. To them it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. To them it's just going through the, through the motions. Like, you know, uh, uh, it's, they don't really enter into this relationship that we can have with God uh, on the way in today, you know, we, we got to pray, and I was just amazed. I was just amazed at how we're driving. We were, late. We we're running late, so we we're run, driving 100 miles an hour, right? <laughs> and we're talking to God, the God of the universe. While we're living our life, we're talking to God. We're fellowshipping with God. I'm feeling the presence of God on my life. And you guys know that when you enter in to a relationship with God, that you can feel it a lot of times. I know I can. I can I can sense his presence. I can feel his presence. It's a beautiful thing. It's the most wonderful thing. And so the Song of Solomon, yes, it is about husband and wife and, and their intimacy together. But you talk to a lot of Bible teachers and they'll tell you that it is also a reflection of the relationship that God can have God has with his people. Or do you want to say, you know, some people like to separate it, you know, the God of, you know, the Father with Israel, Jesus with the church. To me, no, I'm just, it's God with his people. That's how it works. And so um, you guys will see that as we go through here. Uh, You get to see both, and it's a beautiful thing. You know, sometimes a book like the Song of Solomon, I don't know about you, like I said, I don't want to go in depth, so I'm running through it. But, you know, uh, there's a lot to learn. And the Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God, and it's all profitable. And so even a book like this can be life-changing for you tonight. Maybe you came tonight, and you don't really want to be here. But God loves you so much that he wants you to be here. You know, maybe you came tonight and you're like, well, that's what I do on Thursday nights or whatever. I serve, I'm on staff, whatever it might be. But the God of the universe wants to meet you here tonight. Yeah, he speaks sometimes in the earthquakes and the hurricanes and last week was such a cool thing. But sometimes it's still small voice where the God of the universe will touch you. And this is what he says. He says, listen, if you seek after me with all your heart, what do He you say? You'll find me. You'll find me, you guys. And so if that's your heart, if that's what you want, if that's what you're interested in, I do know this, that God wants to meet you here tonight. And I believe he wants us to grow in leaps and bounds. He wants us to get deep. He wants us to have power. He really does. He wants to change our lives. You know? I know for me as a pastor, sometimes I look at people on a Thursday night, I'm like, I'm like well, I'm sure they're all doing pretty good. I'm sure there's no like, uh, you know, chains or, or addictions or struggles. You kind of have that inclination in your heart, but in your head, you know, there there are some here tonight who the, the devil is after them. The devil is pulling them down. The devil is holding them down. And, and I'll tell you what, different ways that he does that, all I know is that if you're not on fire for God, then something's wrong. Because he was nailed to a cross for you. He loves you. And so we should be passionate about him, like this, just like this. We're going to see that as we go through our study today. And so uh, look what we have. First of all, we have like an outline. Looking at the book of Song Solomon as a whole, We saw, first of all, falling in love. Chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 5, you know, they met each other. Do you guys remember when you fell in love with the one you married? It was a beautiful thing. Well, we saw that there. And then after that, then you got united in love where they actually got married. And you'll see it there in the book of Song of Solomon. Today, though, we're going to see they're struggling in love. And so, um, you know, when you get married, you're going to experience that. Have you guys ever heard of that saying? I think I've shared it with you many times. That first there's the engagement ring, then there's the wedding ring, and then there's the suffering. You guys remember that? And so, I don't care how good or squeaky clean you are, every single marriage will have their issues and so don't feel like you're you know the the worst or you're condemned because of it but you have to be able to work through it and so we'll talk about that tonight how they're struggling in love and problems and reluctance and intimacy and then the last chapter the last couple of sections have to deal with growing in love and so song of solomon chapter five we actually pick it up in verse two look what he says uh, what she says it's actually the shulamite and she says "I, i sleep but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For, for my head is covered with dew, my, my locks with the drops of the night. And so most uh, Bible teachers believe that this was a dream. So it's probably a dream, but we're not 100% sure. We do know there in verse 2, she says, I sleep, and so she's sleeping, but somehow her heart is awake, and, and while uh, she's there, her husband is knocking to try to get in. He, he longs to be intimate with his wife, Right? And so, notice again, even the terms of endearment that he uses, you know, my, my love, my, my sister, that's a cool one. You know, make sure, you single people, make sure that you marry a believer. They have to be your brother if you're a sister here today. If you're a sister, they got to be a brother. They have to be in Christ. Otherwise, the most important part of your entire life will not be able to be celebrated together, which is your relationship with God and your fellowship with him. And so it's really cool, this relationship that they have, my, my love, you know, my sister, my my dove, my perfect one. I mean, we're just talking about, you know, this man right here, we're going to see, all guys can probably learn lessons from him. He, he, he wants to be with his wife, and that's a beautiful thing. Hebrews 13.4, the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And so um, don't think that it's sexual intimacy is a bad thing, but just know that it has to happen within the confines of marriage. And so here we see uh, he wants you know, to, to be with his wife, But notice what happens in verse 3. I think she has a headache. Look at verse 3. She says, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? And and so that right there is is basically her saying, I'm tired. I'm already in bed. And she's kind of making excuses. Now, we don't want to read too much into it, but most Bible teachers will say that this marriage was having issues that there was something going on there. Why was he even having to knock at the door? Why was he even having to approach it from a distance like that? And then why would she just shoot him down like that? We've read about how they had this wonderful courtship and this amazing wedding, but now there seems to be a shift in their relationship so you know at first she's like no i'm I'm tired i don't want to have to do that get my feet dirty but then she uh you know she kind of catches herself look at verse four again my beloved put his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him and so uh what we find is that you know there's a little struggle going on she she doesn't want to but but there is a part of her that, that knows better that she is yearning for him right sometimes it's our pride that gets in the way of a marriage relationship and you know we're we're not just open with each other again she'd already gone to sleep um she makes these trivial excuses uh one of the things that you got to know when you get married is that this is an important part of your marriage. If that's not happening, if nothing's going on there, then it's a reflection of your relationship. And so uh, we'll see later when we turn to 1 Corinthians 7 how important it is, right? Sometimes married couples are not always in sync. Uh, Warren Worsby said maybe she wasn't in the mood for romance or just maybe there was more to it, right? There's more to it. And so I I beg of you, as a pastor, I beg, beg of you if you're single please do not enter into sexual intimacy cuz you will bring sin into this church and this church will be powerless if people that come to this church go and sleep around when they're not married yeah we're talking about this and God has brought you here today but understand this is for when you get married because no one here wants to weaken the church. No one here wants to say, "Well, you know what? You come in and you're you're an unrepentant sin and and you know that means that you know the the whole church suffers." That's what the Bible says. And so if you're struggling with that or if you're struggling with pornography, and you know you won't be able to fight it on your own, we're here to help you through that. But we have to be pure. We have to do it for God and we have to do it for his people, but For those of you who are single, you can wait on the Lord and one day he will bless you in this way in one of the most important parts of your whole life when you do it God's way. And so here, um, again, they're they're going through their struggles in spite of an amazing courtship, wedding, and honeymoon. uh, They, like every other couple, are struggling at this point. And so she then changes her mind. Look at verse five. I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. And the keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. So I don't know if it was a game. Sometimes couples play games with each other. It's kind of a weird thing. You know, but again, he's knocking. He wants to spend that time with his wife. She first, you know, says something like, no, and then, you know, makes excuses she delays for a while and then eventually she gets up, right? And when she finally opens the door, uh, she um, finds that the handle is is has is, got all this uh, uh, cologne or myrrh on it, right? Because uh, when you read the Bible, myrrh is connected with that type of intimacy. You see it, for example, in Proverbs 7.17 where it says, this is the, the gal. I have perfumed my, my bed with myrrh and all that kind of stuff. And so that that was his heart. And when she finally goes up, she sees that that's there. And, and some of them might say, well, what? She got up. She went to the door. What's wrong with that? But the problem is that is that her response was sharp and her reaction was late. You know, I'd have to agree. and Because I, I know. You guys know how it is. Warren Wiersbe, he said this, "'Love is often delicate.'" Or, or marriage probably is a better word, is often delicate, easily misunderstood, and quickly hurt. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, not just marriage, but sometimes your friends, you know, you say something, just, you know, you're not thinking, or you do something, and you're not thinking, and it's just a little something, all of a sudden, man, they're like, I'm out of here. You know, I'm, I'm going to go that way, and they go away, and they, there's, next thing you know, there's a drift in the relationship. And so um, that's what happened right here. He he wants to be with her. She's like, ah, ah, okay. She finally gets up. By that time, he's already gone. He's already gone. And now again, I don't think it's just a one night thing. I think this is what's been happening in their marriage, more than likely. And so when she goes out to look for him, she was beaten by the city watchmen. Now that's an interesting thing because in the first time in chapter 3, verse 3, Uh, They actually helped her look for her lover, but this time uh, they mistook her for a criminal, maybe even a prostitute, and uh, and they end up beating her. Now, again, I don't want to read too much into this, but this is why it's crazy, man. When you read all these guys and teachers and you listen to their studies on this, they go really deep because you will see with the metaphors, they're amazing. The, when the Bible, you guys know, huh? When it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course we know it is. It is so deep that theologians will never touch the bottom. And you wonder why in her dream, why in her dream did she have watchmen beating her up? And some will tell you it's because sometimes what gals will do, what people will do, is they get into abusive relationships because they feel they deserve it, and they don't. They don't. You know the enemy sometimes will throw guilt their way and or I could never do any better or this is something I brought upon myself or or even in the dream one person said that maybe it was God's way of saying you got to stand under the shelter and protection of your husband. Again, I don't know for sure, but these are things that we know we do think about. And I've always told you guys like when it comes to marriage and divorce, you know, we know the Bible says that you are free to divorce if your spouse uh, commits adultery. You're free to divorce if your spouse abandons you. The Bible talks about that. But then also, if he abuses you. If he abuses you. And so, what I'm talking about is when he's pounding and beating you. You guys, I hope you, all you gals know that. I hope you tell your friends that, because sometimes they get stuck in those types of relationships. And may no man ever, you guys are Christian men, may you never lay a hand on a woman, especially your wife. So I don't know. All I know is in this, in this dream, she's beaten down by, by the watchmen, And her, her, her lover, her husband, is gone. And so, you know, this is a separation that she's experiencing it's a hard thing to go through. and But sometimes couples, even married couples, they go through that. And so in verse 8, uh, she says to her friends, Oh, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am lovesick. And so if you guys find him, can you tell him that I am... Uh, one translation says sick of love, but that's not a good translation. I am lovesick. I am, you know, in this place now where uh, the same Hebrew word was used for Samson when it says he was, if he were to, you know, cut his hair, that he would be weak like other men. That's where she is. She's sick. She's weak because she loves him, and so she tells her friends, "Hey, if you find him, uh, can you tell him this?" And so the daughters of Jerusalem respond in verse 9. And they say, well, what is your beloved? What's the big deal about this guy? More than another beloved or, or fairest, or fairest of, of, among women. Now, this is a woman of rare beauty. That's what that means. What is your beloved, they're asking her, more than another beloved that you so charge us? And so they ask her, what's so special about this guy that you want us to help you look for him? And what this did then was it gave her an opportunity to be able to think about the qualities that her husband had. And that's what we read uh, next. And sometimes, you know, we need to remind ourselves, what was it that first attracted you two together when you met each other? Uh, We need to sometimes open our eyes more to to what we have and not take them for granted. Um, And so we read in verse 10, well, my beloved... He, she says, now she's going to describe him. What's so big about this guy? Well, my beloved is white. And, and it's interesting. One translation says dark. The, the real word in the Hebrew is radiant. So he's radiant and he's ruddy. Ruddy is uh, sometimes translated red, but healthy cheeks, you know? So he's radiant and, and healthy. He's chief among 10,000. Now, in the Bible, 10,000 was the highest number you had. And that's why when they try to make even more, they say 10,000 times 10,000. So he's like the, the one of a kind, this man that I have, right? And it's just so beautiful the way that when God brings a couple together, how he gives them a special love for each other, you know, especially in the bonds of marriage. And so she's seeing this, that he's, uh, he's an amazing guy. He's, he's radiant and ruddy. He's chief among ten thousand his head is like the finest gold and his locks are wavy and black as a raven and so um, you're going to see in the metaphors you don't take them like literally physically visibly uh, for the most part generally you'll take them descriptively or symbolically so he's got a head like gold what does that mean that means he's he's got a, a valuable mind. I mean, this, the way that this guy, you know, thinks, it's pretty valuable to me. He has wavy black hair too, which is uh, kind of a nice thing. W- what I was thinking is, you ladies that are married, you should take all these things that she describes about her beloved, and I want you to write them about your husband. His head is. His mouth is. His eyes are. His biceps are you know all that kind of stuff you just go through everything right it'd be really cool and then the guys will do the same thing look what she says Uh, his eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set his cheeks are like a bed of spices banks of scented herbs his lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh now not just to let you know and this is where it's cool dripping liquid myrrh is not that he's wearing lipstick guess what it means It means he has has good breath. (laughs) It means he brushes teeth. Okay, that's important. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is chiseled, carved ivory, inlaid with sapphires. Yes, guys, that means he has a six-pack. Okay, that's what he's talking about. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance, literally his posture, his appearance, is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. See, and that's where when I read that, I think of Jesus for sure, right? But this is also his church, his church. This is the way we see each other. It's going to be so cool as we go through here, but this is Jesus. He's altogether lovely. This is my beloved. And notice this is my friend, oh daughters, of jerusalem what's the big deal about this guy you know you ask wives that about their husbands you know i wonder if they would be able to just say hey boom this is my this is my man you know and it it goes both ways i mean wives have to learn from the song of solomon and and husbands as well you know you have these metaphors that the the eyes that are shaped like doves—not um, necessarily looking like a dove, literally—but peaceful and gentle, right? Reflecting that that character you know, washed in milk. I remember the first time I saw my wife, that was one of the things that captured me about her eyes. They were big, old, beautiful, white eyes with brown. And because I used to get high so much, my eyes were never white. (laughs) They were always red. And so I appreciated the fact that her eyes were white and brown. I was like, whoa, that's cool. You know, and so she notices things like that. I mean, when you look at his cheeks, they're delightful and desirable, like spice or or perfume, lips are soft, like like lilies. I know it sounds kind of funny for a guy's lips to be described like that, but there's something about that. And even when you kiss, even when you kiss, that that smell that you have of of the lips, I mean, it's just all that kind of stuff God has given us to enjoy. His his arms were as attractive and valuable as, as gold, And his legs and his body, handsome, as ivory, polished and so smooth. All that is a description of his muscular shape. And then his legs um, are strong, overall appearance. Now, when it talks about uh, the, the stature there and it connects it with Lebanon, he may have been tall, you know. Again, I don't know if it necessarily has to be that way. But, you know, the description, tall, dark and handsome, uh, he fit that. Now, for some of us here, we can't, we can't go, grow any taller, huh? So we, nothing we can do about that. But we can comb our hair. We can uh, take care of ourselves. We can try to present ourselves the best way that we can. Now, again, we're going to see as as love grows, it's not superficial. But I would say to you who are married, you know, take care of yourself. Dr. J. Vernon McGee used to say, if the bar needs painting, paint it. That stuff like that, right? And so um, right here, when she's looking at her husband, she has plenty to say. You know, again, do your best to take care of yourself. Be attractive to each other. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll wear a shirt I don't like, to be honest. I'm like, man, I do not look good in baby blue, right? But she likes it. And so I'd like, be like, okay, well, that's all that matters. If it were up to me, I probably would, would comb my grow my hair out. Yeah, I'd have a big old long mohawk or something. I don't know. But but my wife likes me, but alone she likes me like this. And so hey, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. All that matters is what she thinks. And so you guys, you have to you have to try to look at it that way with your spouse. You know, over the years, Warren Risby said, our bodies change and we get old. But the husband and the wife who grow in their appreciation and evaluation of each other will never cultivate a critical spirit and, and you 're going to see and you 're going to see that as you grow and we 're talking about you know all these things the love, the friendship, you know the family love, the romance love, when you grow in the depths and you go through all the trials together, and you all the things that you face throughout life. You know, you you learn. I know I have learned, and I'm, I've been married for a long time. You know, you learn to see this beautiful qualities that your spouse has, and what ends up happening is you grow in appreciation. Because I'll be honest, man, there was a time, there was a season where I took her for granted, and then God really spoke to me in many ways, and He's continuing to speak to me in many ways. And so um, we see here uh, something interesting. Look at uh, verse uh, 16 again. His mouth is most sweet. That's talking about the words that he, that he speaks. Yes, he's altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And so you want to make sure you cultivate a friendship with your spouse. Um, friends, uh, they love at all times. You know, friends, um, they're committed for life. Friends, uh, Jesus said in john fifteen fifteen they tell each other' secrets. you can trust each other, and so um, cultivate that, you know, cultivate that, you guys. I wish we could say more, uh, but we just don't have a lot of time. but I would say this uh, don't just be honeymooners, be honey bloomers. you want that intimacy, and remember Malachi talks about the companionship. you want that. she should be. He should be your best friend. Verse 1 of chapter 6, the daughters of Jerusalem, they said, Hey, where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women, or woman of rare beauty? Where has your beloved turned aside that we can seek him with you? And so this is interesting. They're going through marital problems, and the the, the he, she says, Well, if you see him, can you tell him that I'm sick, in love with him, that I want him back? And so, an interesting thing, they said, "Okay, well, where has he gone so we can help you they They were willing to help, and so again, don't want to read too much into it, but maybe as a quick side note, uh, to friends trying to help friends that are going through marital struggles. you know, and, and if you're here and you might have a friend going through difficulties and you're like these women, like, where is he, and you want to help?" Number one, you know, you have to, you can't just open up to anybody. You can't tell the whole world. You can't blast them on Facebook. You know, you find a good uh, friend that you can say, hey, can you pray with me? Uh, I'm going through marital struggles, you know, or um, maybe they, you know, people who care, people who pray, people who will give Christian counsel that's biblical. I think that if you're going through mar- marital problems, you you know of course you try to work it out you know but a lot of times you need help from someone and so you should always have somebody that can maybe be that spiritual leader in your life who cares for you and can help you like these gals were trying to help them and so they're like well where is he where is he and then so she says in verse 2 my beloved has gone to his garden to the beds of spices to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. And so it's an interesting theme because when she first left, she didn't know where he was, right? Where is he at? And then probably the next day, it's probably the next day, she's thinking, I know where he's at because he's a responsible man. He has a job and he's going to be feeding his flock. That's where he will be. And so now she knows where he is. And so she shares his responsibility that he's feeding the flock. But it's also interesting what she says right here in verse 2 to the beds of spices and to gather lilies. And, and more than likely, she knows that her husband is going to get this nice stuff so they can be together. She just knows it. She goes, we're, we're going we're gonna to work this out because I am his and he is mine and that's what marriage is you know sometimes i find myself as a pastor and i get a lot of different people calling me and texting me and just so many questions so many emails so many responsibilities you know and um so whatever you know i'll get a pressing question this way and then my wife will come up you know and she'll say hey you know, she'll ask me a question. And then the Lord just, you know, they're, they're, if you're not careful, you'll, go, you'll just do ministry. Because there's a million things to do. But then the Lord reminds me. He says, Manny, you know, you say you love me, right? So you say you love me. Well, so much of you loving me is you loving her. How can you serve in the ministry? How can you say you love God when you don't love your spouse first? first you know and so what we're seeing right here is so important hey there he's mine and i'm his and this is my priority in life after my relationship with god it's my spouse and i've really learned this in life you know that that you know when it comes to the responsibilities that we have um it's important for us to understand that it really is You know, and so she knows they're going to work it out. I am his, and he is mine. I wanted you to turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And most of you are probably already familiar with this passage, but just in case, and like I said earlier, I beg of you, please stay pure, single people, please. But this is something you have to know when you get married. And for those of you who are married, this is a very important part of your marriage. The Bible talks about it here. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, Paul said, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So the the Corinthians had written him a letter. Hey, what about getting married? Is that okay? And Paul says, you know what? To be single is pretty cool. And he goes on, and later on he talks about the benefits of being single. You don't have to worry about anything. You want to go on a missions trip, you go on a missions trip like that. You don't to have to ask anybody. I mean, there's so much you know, benefits of being single. So Paul's talking about that because that's where he's at. And that's at this juncture of his life. But he says in verse two, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, that each man have his own wife and that each woman have her own husband. Isn't that interesting how they have their own? You know, it's kind of like that. And so he says in verse three, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. You know, we've had many situations here where sometimes wives are not, you know, cooperating, they're, they're, they're punishing their husbands or whatever. And that's wrong. You know, um, he says, no, you guys owe each other this part of your relationship, this part of your marriage. The, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, whatever you do, do not take this to the extreme. He's not talking about, hey, you have to do everything that I want, and you have to do it like this. No. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that there is this healthy intimacy that we are not to, you know, say, hey, no to when it comes to being married. But, you know, it's not like an abusive thing. It's not like, you know, you cross lines. I mean, this is, when we're talking about intimacy in marriage, we're talking about selflessness. We're talking about loving each other. It's not a selfish thing. And so, you know, he says, this is how it works. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So again, when you're married, you don't say, hey, I'm done for whatever, three months or something. No, not unless you talked about it, you prayed about it, you both agreed to it. And then sometimes you do fast like that while you're seeking the Lord, but He even says right here, not too long, lest Satan come and tempt you. You know, and I and I can tell you guys stories, and I don't want to tell you a lot, you know, but I will tell you that I have taught to some couples who fell into adultery. Uh, this guy over here, no, nowhere near here, so don't try to figure out who it was. But as a pastor up north, and he was with a prostitute, and there's never, ever, 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 an excuse for that but his wife would not be with him. So again, there's a lot of crazy things going on. I, I love families, and I, and I just fight for families, and I want families to stay together. I really do. And I know that the number one knockout punch to families is adultery. And that's why I always try to share, you guys stay pure and make sure you do these things. Uh, verse 6, I, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself. Paul was single at the time, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And so uh, if you have the desire you know, to get married, you have the desire to be with someone, then you don't have the gift of singleness. Okay, And so in God's time, you watch what he'll do if you seek him first and so that's what paul is saying here that that when it comes to marriage and these things uh yeah it's nice being single you single people i I pray that you take advantage of that time but when you do get married make sure that you are responsible in this area because satan will mess us up man if we're not careful so go back to song of solomon in verse 4 of chapter 6 Notice how he responds. Now he's speaking. In verse 4, he says, Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. You could tell that to your wife. See if she likes it. <laughs> Terza and Jerusalem. Terzah was the capital of the northern kingdom for four kings. Jerusalem is described in the Bible as the loveliest city of all. And so there's there's power here. Again, verse 5, Turn your eyes away from me, wife, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. You can just see it flowing down. Your teeth are, are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins and none is barren among them. I mean, this beautiful smile, beautiful teeth, like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil, And there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed, and the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and awesome as an army with banners?" So it's interesting in, in this sense, you guys, because what ends up happening is um, first he wants to, you know, be with her and then she kind of says, no, I, you know, something's wrong in our relationship. And then, you know, she ends up going out and and, and he's gone and she kind of feels it, that this is not a good thing. He's my husband. And so she goes looking for him and then eventually... You know, they find him and she's thinking about what a blessing he is. No one's perfect, but you can see the blessings of your spouse. And uh, and then, you know, so she's good. She's like, okay, he's mine. I'm his. She's good. She's forgiven. Question is, has he forgiven? And what ends up happening is he has. And right yeah. there and then he just starts complimenting her. All these words affirming her. Now, I don't know about you, but I will say this, that I like words of affirmation. I really do. My wife sometimes will tell me, you know, things, oh, you're so good at whatever, and um, I, you know, I love it. And uh, that's my probably my love language. Um, and then most women also like that. You know, they need to be built up. They need to be blossomed. You know, they need to be complimented, you know? And some guys are like, well, that's just not the way I am. You know, I like to show it. And it's true. Show it. Show that you love them. But there's nothing wrong with telling them you love them. Over and over again in the Bible, God says, I love you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Yes, with loving kindness I've drawn you. He's not shy to tell his bride that he loves us, but he also shows it. And so here you have all these beautiful things. He, he uh, doesn't scold her. What happened to you, woman? Why didn't you let me in? No, right away. There's just this grace and, and forgiveness, right? And so it's interesting when you look at what's listed here in comparison to when they first were married. We saw it in chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. He was kind of telling her a lot of the same, same things that he had told her before, you know, because uh, he appreciated that uh, about her. And so the Shulamite speaks in verse 11. She says, I went down to the garden of of nuts to see the verdure, the lush green vegetation in the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. And so again, uh, more than likely she goes down to see if there's fruits of forgiveness, which there was. And verse 12 is an interesting verse. Um, if you guys have different translations, you're going to see translated way different. But, but basically, in a nutshell, notice what it says. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. So, you know, she's going back and then he starts complimenting her. And, you know, um, before she can even think about it, boom, he sweeps her away and he puts her on his chariot and they're off that's really what it's saying right there and you know again marriage starts off so good especially when you are engaged but then living together you know it's something else the wedding's beautiful and you're going to have your struggles but you need to look work it out with a lot of grace a lot of love a lot of friendship a lot of commitment you know and so um verse 13 the 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 beloved and his friends, they say, Return, return, O Shulamite, return that we may look upon you. And in verse 13, the the Shulamite says, What would you see in the Shulamite? As it were, the dance of the two camps. And And that's an interesting thing. The NLT says it easier Return, return to us, O maid of Shulam, come back, come back that we may see you again. And then he says, why do you stare at this young woman of Shulam as she moves so gracefully between two lines of dancers? And so that's the way he sees her. And so verse 1 of chapter 7, this is interesting. How beautiful are your feet in sandals? Now most guys don't notice girls' shoes, huh? For the most part oh you got your your toenails done those are nice or your sandals that's one of the first things girls will notice about other girls huh they look at their shoes guys oh man it's not even like that at least not for me anyways we do not look at shoes but this guy right here he looks at her feet in the sandals oh prince's daughter see how he elevates her the curves of your thighs are like jewels the the work of the hands of a skillful workman your your navel is a rounded goblet that's interesting it, it lacks no beverage now again remember we're not talking about visual actual literal things oh it looks like a goblet no what he's talking about is is the, the wine that you would drink from that goblet. And so he's just looking at every part of her, and he says, you are—you enrapture me with your love. You are intoxicating to me. I mean, this guy is really, he knows how to do it. He knows how important it is to romance his wife. And some guys that do that, what they do, because a lot of times what happens, because we have like the conquer mentality. We're like, okay, once we get that gal, then whatever, we done, we move on to our next mission. That's the way most men are. But but what God wants to do doesn't work like that. Once you're married, you know, you're done. No, God wants you to continue to pour into her this type of love, you know, and you talk about, you know, her navel, and look what it says your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. That's funny because um that doesn't look good. But we're going to see that the wine and the wheat, that that was the drink and the food. That was the substance and satisfaction. That was like the joy in life, right? How many of you guys like bread? And you're like, oh, yeah, I I love to eat. And, you know, you have that fellowship. And this is the joy. She is the joy of my life. And I can honestly say that. My wife is fun. She's funny. But we just got to know each other and we just, they're inside things, you know, it's just the way it is. And it says right here in verse 3, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Rabbim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon when it looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel and the hair of your head is like purple as royal, right? A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. The stature of yours is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. And they're, uh, they're kissing. And so you see a lot here going on he sees how beautiful she's sculpted and made by god fashioned skillfully and there's a lot of expressions here we see um, that we can hold on to you know a neck uh being like an ivory tower it speaks of, of the value of it really and even the protection that his wife would give to him eyes right here uh they're beautiful Uh, And it says that they're like the pools of Heshbon, and that's in reference to a a Moabite city, famous for its fertility and water reservoirs. And so he really got creative in sharing what he thought about his wife. And so um, what do you guys say? How many of you guys are married? If you would, raise your hand. I'm just curious. Okay. So do you guys think it would be beneficial to write your wife a love letter? I'm just curious. Oh, the wives are going, yeah. I would I would say you guys should just do it and then maybe mail it to her or maybe put some cologne on it and put in a card or something. I'm telling you, this is God. This is really what He's saying about you know how important it is to speak these things. Don't make it up and don't copy someone else's poem. You let it come from the heart. <laughs> And so verse 9, it says, the the wine, this is probably the Shulamite. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. And sleepers are in reference to the teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. And so the wine, you're like, well, yay, man, it says it can drink. No, you guys know what we've always shared with you. I don't think you should drink, honestly, my opinion is. Um, You don't need to be under the influence of an artificial substance. You don't need to be under that type of influence. But you can be under another influence. You can be under the influence of God. And you can be under the influence of love. And that's what this is talking about here. It's a metaphor. The wine is in reference to you guys loving each other so much that you are just head over heels, uh, intoxicated with that love for each other. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. You know, when it comes to um, knowing the Lord, uh, you know, the Bible actually uses that as a, a phrase of being intimate with your spouse. You, they knew each other, right? And it also uses it in reference to a relationship with God, that we know him, that we really Know him like this. And so, you know, I do think it's husband and wife, but it would probably be more important as you're leaving tonight to know that this is in reference also to you and Jesus, you and him. Yet you would have this deep, intimate, personal, love relationship with him. And as he looks at you and he sees you so beautiful, he sees you, I was thinking about this earlier, like when he saw the children of Israel in the wilderness, he saw them with no sin. Think about that. After all the bad they had done, he saw them with no sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he sees you with no sin. Think about that. I was thinking about as I was reading through this, when Jesus was on the cross, and it says, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and so when the lord looks at you he sees no sin he sees you in glory he sees you like we're t- giving all these compliments right here but he sees that in you even when he saw peter when peter was all messed up what did he say about peter what how did he see peter you're my rock you're my rock and, and i will tell you this the spouse the greatest influence on another spouse is your spouse And that's what Jesus is wanting to do to us. He's wanting to change us like this with his love that's so amazing. And I pray that if you're here and you're struggling, you're hurting, you know, that you would let him. You would let him. Because that's how he loves you. And I pray, you know, just like with every other relationship, that that you would love him back.